Hello and welcome to the show. So glad you are here. You know I'm glad that you're here. We got a great show for you today as we do every day. We are going to be talking about the largest higher education strike which is taking place right now in the great state of California. Oregon won big during their midterm election. Everyone is jumping ship on Donald J. Trump. And we will have a very, and I mean very special guest interview at the end of the show. So don't you move, don't go anywhere. Matter of fact, it's a good time for you to call some people, some friends and some frenemies and tell them to tune in. Call them, text them, message in a bottle, whatever you gotta do, tell them come on. They don't wanna miss the best hour of the afternoon. And that is right here on Boss. And for my co-host today, I have Yasmin Khan, a contributor for The Breakdown. Yasmin, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. And talk to us a little bit about what's happening on The Breakdown. Hi, Senator. I'm so glad to be here on your show. It's my first time on Unboss, so happy to be here. Uh, yeah, over on The Breakdown, we're doing a lot of good stuff over there. Today, I just worked on a story about Ron DeSantis and how he's kind of the de facto, de facto leader of the GOP at this point. I guess we'll see what happens later tonight with Trump's big announcement. Uh, so he's got a lot of eyes on him. And last week, we talked a little bit about you know what's going on with all the tech stocks. And we did a little bit of a compare and contrast between what's going on now with what happened back during the turn of the millennium at the Y2K era. So that was kind of fun, a little nostalgic for me. So yeah, good stuff over there. It all sounds good. I don't know, de-sanctimonious, I can't shake that. I think, I think Donald J, he got that right. He knows how to name some folks. That one I can't I can't let loose. But that, that is please. the one thing we can give him credit for, yeah. Yes, we can give him credit <laughs> for that. So you guys don't want to miss Yasmin at on the breakdown. This is hot. It's hot over there. So I want you to go over there too and support. We support each other around here on TYT. Yeah. Yeah. Educational workers are on strike. Watch this. What you just saw is a visual of the biggest education strike going on in this country right now in the great state of California. It happened, it started actually yesterday morning. They are fired up and really ready to go. 48,000 workers are striking. More Perfect Union covers it this way, breaking 48,000 academic workers at the University of California have begun the largest higher education strike in US history. The UC workers represented by UAW are picketing at all 10 UC campuses this morning. Again, that was as of yesterday. And who was included in this strike is, is uh, here is a lot of workers in solidarity. The workers including researchers, teachers, Teaching, teaching assistants and tutors are fighting for higher wages, childcare subsidies, expanded family leave, and more. You know, the usual stuff that workers need to live a good life. They're not reaching too big. They're not asking for too much, just the very basics. And 40% of grad student workers currently spend over half of their pay on rent per a union survey. And for more information, if you want to get involved, you do not have to be in the great state of California to get involved. You can get involved right where you are. Go to fairucnow, that's fairucnow.org. And the strike is spreading out among 10 universities of California's campuses. The strike began at 8 a.m. And it includes a variety of workers. We just named the workers, we can list those workers again. The teaching assistants, the researchers, postdoctoral scholars, readers, and tutors. And they're striking for the basics because they just cannot afford to live. How does that make any sense in the United States of America with our hegemonic positioning? And we have workers who have to beg just for decency. They're not. They're not reaching too big. They just asking for better wages, better work conditions. That's all, nothing much. The members say some receive salaries so low that they cannot afford housing near or on campus. The union, UAW, is demanding the University of California increase salaries so workers no longer have to live on what they describe as poverty wages. The University of California responded to the strike this way, our campuses have been preparing to mitigate 
the impact of any strike activity on our students by ensuring to the extent possible continuity of instruction and research. The University of California continues to negotiate in good faith. University of California, we hope that you are negotiating in good faith. And one of the best ways to ensure continuity for the students is make sure that you pay the folks that make the university run good wages, make sure they have good work conditions and benefits. That would ensure continuity for the students. I'm sure that the students are on the side of the striking workers of the university. So however, proposals made by the university so far, even though they say they're negotiating in good faith, doesn't even match the rate of inflation. Not at all. So I want you to take a look at this chart right here. Even with raises, inflation cancels out almost any pay increase. Nice raise, too bad about inflation. Percent change in average hourly earnings from year to year. So we see that when we take a look at real wages, workers are actually losing. And it's not just the workers at the University of California. As we look all across this country and we think about how wages have increased, but they have not kept up with the rate of inflation. So actually, just as you saw on that chart, as it impacts those workers, workers across this country are taking a pay cut because of inflation. So yes, I don't know what the university is saying. It just seems like, uh, to quote my uh, dear friend, the math ain't math. And as Andrew Yang would say, let me channel my my inner Andrew Yang. The math ain't math. I mean, it's true, and I love to see the solidarity on campus like this. Those numbers, what was it? Forty-eight thousand workers are on strike. That's very impressive. That's incredible. That's a lot of organizing that went into that. And you know, whenever you see situations like this one, whenever there's a mass, a mass like in one inkly, you get a lot of people complaining about disruption. But the reality is, if these workers don't get paid a reasonable, livable wage, these jobs are no longer going to be sustainable. And people are going to have to leave the field entirely, which in education specifically, we've already seen that happen. So long term, it's a much worse problem to have than a little bit of disruption here today, especially when you consider that these workers are by no means asking for anything unreasonable, as you mentioned. And then the other thing to remember with strikes is that the more people are involved, the more effective they are. You kind of need those really big numbers for strikes to be effective and to drive positive change. Otherwise, they're much too easy for the powers to be to overlook the strike entirely. And so we, it's good to see those numbers. It really is, and we all can be a part of that strike. As I mentioned earlier, worker solidarity is is vitally important because it impacts every other person. We know that historically labor unions have boosted, catapulted the wages of either even our sisters and brothers and family and friends who are not in labor unions. So this kind of solidarity means so much. So I'm hoping that all of our viewers will get involved. Let's put up this headline, approval of labor unions at its highest sense. 1965, the people across this country really do understand what it means to be in solidarity with workers across this country, really across the world. Because there's a global fight right now for better wages and better, better work conditions. There, It is a global movement right now with people declaring that they deserve to live a better life. And they do, and they should not have to work their fingers to the bone just to enjoy life. They should be able to smell the roses, smell the tulips, tiptoe through the tulips. Whatever they want to do, they should be able to do it. And they should be paid enough to do just that and have the benefits and the work conditions that they all deserve. So we are rooting for you, baby. We are right there with you. Keep on keeping on. Roll, 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 be Wade. Let's put up this headline, Democrats should use this moment to codify Roe v. Wade. And this is coming from Eli Mistal the in the Nation magazine. The midterms prove that Americans support abortion rights and Democrats should enshrine them, even though the Supreme Court will promptly strike them down. And Eli goes on to say, I guess Rovember really was a thing. And I think he's right about that. It really was a thing. And here's some of what he wrote about in his op-ed in the Nation magazine. 
Lots of factors played a role in the Republicans underperformance in the midterm elections. But it sure seems like the decision by conservative justices on the Supreme Court to overturn Roe v. Wade was a major one. The United States Senate might have been handed back to Democrats by Samuel Alito and his extremist ruling, signed of course by all five of the other conservatives. Eli goes on to say, one person looking to press policy advantage Democrats currently enjoy is President Joe Biden. White House senior aide Anita Dunn went on TV to reiterate Biden's stance that Congress should quote codify Roe v. Wade so that it is the national law of the land. It's really good that the president is starting to understand that now. As we know, I'm old enough to remember when the president was kind of pushing back on codifying Roe and doing away with the filibuster just to do that. And it has been because of the pressure of outside activists, outside forces pushing the president to this point. Eli goes on to say, Biden understands that the voters have spoken and he's positioning his administration and the Democrats as the people who want to give the voters what they want. And what they want is to not have Ted Cruz anywhere near their uteruses. You better say that, baby. It always boggles my mind how Republicans talk about small government, but they always want it just size, just right, just enough to fit into a woman's womb. We're gonna keep on pushing back on that. Eli says, I want that to happen. I think Democrats should use maximal power to enshrine abortion rights, including getting rid of the filibuster if need be. It's the right move, both in terms of policy, reproductive rights should trump state rights, and in terms of politics. Amen on Eli, he did this thing in the Nation Magazine. If you wanna read the full article, please go to the Nation Magazine. Dr. Robert Rice, bringing him back to, to the fore. We had him up yesterday, we gotta remind you, Kentucky and Montana rejected abortion bans. California, Michigan, and Vermont enshrined abortion rights in their state constitutions. If abortion rights are going to be left to the states, this is what must continue to happen. Yasmin. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm in Texas and just the idea of Ted Cruz anywhere near my uterus is a thought that I really can't deal with at all. But it's true what Robert Reich was saying, you know, we already know that the majority of Americans on both sides of the aisle support abortion rights. It's kind of frustrating to see that this is still such a hotly contested issue in national politics and in state politics. I was really glad to see so many people turn out to the voting booth during the midterms, many of whom I can assume were there at least in part to help protect abortion rights. I know that was a big motivator this midterm season, but it's not fair for either party to continue to use this as a poll motivator, right? They can't keep using the fear of losing our basic rights as a motivator to get people to vote. It's not fair to the American public. And there's always gonna be another hot button issue to motivate voters. So let's just move on from this one. Let's codify it, do what we can do. We gotta move on, we gotta move on. Amen to that, and you're absolutely right. Cannot continue to use this. They abusing it. Don't abuse it. So my stunt double, Yasmin, my stunt double had this to say on Twitter: The balance of the Senate is now clear. It is also clear that being pro-abortion banned is politically terrible. Dems will talk about how successful these midterms were, then will say they can't address abortion rights. At least try. And that's really what Eli was saying in his article too, that despite what this activist extreme right wing extremist Supreme Court may do, that the Democrats must try. They should have tried this months ago in my opinion, but here we are. And finally, Eli says, but people should operate without any illusions. If the Democrats somehow pass a national law codifying Roe v. Wade, the conservative justices will use the emergency shadow docket to prevent it from taking effect and then strike it down later when it is electorally convenient for them to do so. We all know the game, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't try because we must continue to advance. Now, when the president was asked whether or not codifying role was in the cars, he responded this way. I don't think they can expect much of anything other than we're going to maintain our position. I don't think that there's enough votes to codify Roe v. Wade abortion rights unless something happens unusual in the house. I think we're going to get very close in the house, but I don't think it's going to be very close. But I don't think we're going to do it. That's coming for the president. I don't have a whole lot that doesn't inspire a confidence at all. 
but here we are. So from the activists out there on the streets to members of Congress continue to push this thing. No matter what the United States Supreme Court may do or might or might not do, we must continue to push. And Democrats, you're in lame duck session. So do what you can right now. Lay a strong foundation, do the right thing. Let's stop making excuses. You got the power, you need to use it. We're gonna use our power right now to go to a break, but we're coming right back and we want you to stay right there. Don't you move. As a matter of fact, you need to text somebody right now. Tell them, come on, Unboss is on. Member comments, my favorite time of the hour on Twitch. Neon says, Nina is on fire, exclamation point. I'm gonna amen that Neon, thank you. And on YouTube Super Chat, Henry says, unboss Nina and Yasmin, wow, wonderful. With a whole bunch of exclamation points. We received that, yes, Yasmin and I both received that. I'll thank you it. all thank you. so much for your support of Unbossed and for the show and for all that you do for TYT. We could not do what we do without you, we are a team. And speaking of team, I wanna remind you as I do every single day that Brittany Griner is not free. We must continue to lift her, to lift her family, to lift the people who are working hard to bring her back home. Her family has asked that if we are on social media, the hashtag we are BG, we are BG and yes, we are. And for our family and friends and sisters and brothers in Jackson, Mississippi, you can help TYT help them by going to tyt.com slash relief. That is tyt.com slash relief. Having clean water is a basic right, a basic human right. Whether you're in Jackson, Mississippi or Flint, Michigan or anywhere hell in the world, it is a basic right. So let's help our sisters and brothers and family and friends, shall we? Oregon wins big on measure 111. Good news out of Oregon as voters made their voices heard. Yes, they did. They said yes to affordable health care being a constitutionally protected right. Yes, you heard that correctly. This is not a typo. I did not make a mistake. We did not misspeak on that. You better go ahead with your bad self, Oregon. I might have to come back and visit you. I haven't been there in a while. This turner might have to take a flight, be with you and celebrate. So measure 111 was the measure at stake. And here's what, what it what it took. So we have right to health care amendment in 2022. And there it is. Yes. Vote to support it. No, vote to oppose it. And we see that the yes have it. They do. 800, almost 900 thousand yes votes for this measure in Oregon. United States of America, federal government, are you listening? Are you looking? Are you paying attention? Go ahead and follow Oregon's lead. Oregon, you did that. And there it is. This makes Oregon the only state in United States history to enshrine access to affordable health care in its state's constitution. And hopefully they will not remain the only one, but they getting this party started just right. And here's what the Oregon editorial board said prior to the vote. Quote, it's all, it also can increase pressure to raise new taxes in the future to fund these underfined goals. There is no reason that legislators need measure 111 to meet this supposedly aspirational goal, except as a way to leverage more money in the future. Organans should vote no. And that's what the editorial board said, and they wrong all day long. They wrong all life long. Same talking points from critics of Medicare for all nationally. Seems like this publication was looking over at somebody else's notes. The notes of people who do not support universal health care as a basic right. Well, I want you to check this out. US per capita health care spending is over twice the average of other wealthy nations. So let me remind you, as you can see, our costs outweigh any other industrialized nation. And guess what? We pay more, but we don't have better health outcomes. So we're not even getting a return on this investment. It is past time that the United States of America has universal health care. Yasmin. 
Yeah, you know, just the fact that the right to health care is even a political issue is indicative of how destructive the Republican platform has been to this country. But these issues don't doing so well in these elections. These are issues which are supposed to be so far left and so radically progressive. But no, they're not. They were never that radical. These are things that every American wants and frankly needs. And they're things that people in other nations that are similar to ours already have. It's nice to see that <clears throat> for as much as this nation is divided, or at least as much as we are told that we're divided, we can see that we're much more aligned. The regular everyday American people are much more aligned on basic issues and basic ideas than the media and major political players would have us believe. So it, it is reassuring to see that we are more united than not. It really is, especially on these basic issues. The majority of Americans, as you laid out, regardless of political affiliation, they do realize that time has come. The Peter G. Peterson Foundation took this survey. And as I was saying before, really shows how it doesn't matter the fact that we spend so much more than other industrialized nations, our outcomes are no better than theirs, in some cases worse. And we're talking about real flesh and blood here. These are not widgets. This is not just something that you just pontificate on cavalierly. People are either uninsured or underinsured. And it is a crisis that impacts not just the individual and their families, but it impacts the entire nation, it impacts businesses. I know I'm sure that small businesses would much rather us have a universal health care plan. It takes away all the paperwork for them. It helps to free up more money for them to invest back into their businesses. For our the house of labor, it takes one more thing off of the bargaining, you know, off the negotiation table. They don't have to negotiate for that. They can focus their time on the wage side. So universal healthcare and having that healthcare is a beautiful thing. And Oregon, big ups to you for blazing a trail for everybody else in this country. We are going to keep an eye on this and hopefully other states will absolutely follow you. I wanna look at, can we put up this tweet when it comes to the military industrial complex? We usually don't have any problem at all spending that kind of money. The United States spends about 115 billion on policing a year, more than any other country's military budget save China. It spends 732 billion on the military, which is more than the next 10 highest spending countries combined. So why is it that we can make all this war making, but we cannot invest in our people by ensuring that they have health care. We have the money, what it seems like is that we don't have the political will to do so. And that's problem, and yes, I do, I question all the time, why is this such a big hurdle for us in the United States of America? We're wealthier than all those other industrialized nations that we have been discussing, yet we're having the hardest time with this. Yeah, and I don't know if it's just really good and systematic propaganda that our own government has been feeding us. And we have the money, right? We love to brag that we're the richest nation in the world. We have more money than other countries, than continents combined, whatever, however much money we have. But the thing is, it's the way that we spend it, right? And a lot of libertarians like to say, you know, I don't want to spend tax, I don't want to pay taxes because I don't like how they spend it. That's why we have representatives in government, and that's why the system, if it works properly, those representatives are supposed to help spend our money the way that, you know, where we think it should be spent. Unfortunately, that's not what we've been seeing. We've been seeing people ask for things like universal health care and more investment here at home. And even during Trump's term as president, he had his whole campaign was run based on America first. But how much did he actually do here at home? How much he always, you know, I think Joe Biden actually put something on Instagram today about um, how Trump ran on how he was going to fix the infrastructure here in the in the at home and he never did he just never did you know he just he built a wall or something I don't even know what he did so it's you know it is hard we have the money we're not spending it properly we're not spending it where the people would like it to be spent and instead they just keep telling us well where are we going to get the money for something like healthcare it's your job the government is supposed to take care of the people find the money you have it yeah, we have it. We definitely have it. We have it. Um, just one more. We got to go on, but I'm gonna keep visiting this. As I mean, this issue is so vitally important to me. 
I care deeply about this and the other movement people who are in this fight, especially our nurses who were the first to come out and say that we deserve universal health care. There's a chart that the graph that shows us very clearly that, that the American people are on our side as well. Medicare for all, where Americans would get their health insurance from the government, we see. 55% of all voters agree, 79% who are Democrat agree, 28% Republicans agree. But let's go back to all voters, 55%. And then if we look at the public option, 68% of all voters agree, 80% of Democrats and 56% of Republicans. So it seems like the problem is with the elected officials and not with the people. So we need to put better elected officials in office so that the people, the everyday people instead of the owner donors can get what we need and what we deserve and what we are asking for. The Republicans are giving up on Donald J. Trump. They are, they jumping ship all over the place. So it seems many conservatives are blaming Trump for having an outsized role in the election. But that might not stop Trump from announcing that he is going to run again tonight, there's something. Something really bubbling up for Trump tonight. That's what we are hearing. Let's put up this headline, Republicans cringe as Trump 2024 approaches. The former president is expected to make a campaign splash at Mar Largo on Tuesday night. But even his staunchest allies aren't leaping to an endorsement. So first up is Lindsey Graham who has stuck by Trump's side since the beginning. Senator Lindsey Graham had this to say regarding Trump's potentially announcing a run in 2024. Let's see what he says, I'll tell you after Georgia. In other words, waiting on the outcome of this election, Senator Graham is making it clear, I can't make any commitments now, I gotta wait until we hear from Georgia. Now Trump did not help his case last week as we all know, when he publicly lashed out at Florida Governor Ron DeSantis on Truth Social. Which is leading Republicans to say things like this. The question is, who is the current leader of the Republican Party? Oh, I know who it is, Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis is the leader of the Republican Party, whether he wants to be or not. Not so fast. Ron the Sanctimonious is the leader of the Republican Party. They don't even know who the real leader of the Republican Party is. But look how quickly they just throwing Trump away. But it's not just politicians who are deboarding the Trump train. Fox News has tapped out as well. Listen to what Fox News Brett Him had to say. Sometimes Brett and there are some there's polling on this that reflects this. That while he maintains real influence within the Republican Party, no two ways about that. But it has begun to fade. It started fading really, I think, after his annex post-election in 2020. That a great many people who were with him perhaps up until then uh, began to move away from him. And he never has really done anything to change that. He's continued to insist that the election was stolen from him, that he should be the real president and so on so forth. Now when Fox News leaves you by the side of the road, you got problems. Trump. You got problems, baby, they done left you just like that, but not even them. When your family members throw you under the bus, yeah, that's where it really is. So let's look at this headline, Trump begging Jared and Ivanka to join him on stage for campaign launch. This is what is coming from some sources. Javanka seems to want no part or <laughs> Ivanka seems to want no part of this in 2024. Former President Donald J. Trump spent part of daughter Tiffany's lavish Mar-a-Lago wedding this past weekend trying to convince his much loved elder daughter Ivanka and son-in-law Jared Kushner to be with him on stage when he announces his third consecutive run for the presidency at the Palm Beach Resort Tuesday night. Yeah, Jared and Ivanka, that's the Javanka. They a team, baby. Yes, they are. Yasmin, I, I'm, I'm, sorry, I'm trying not to sigh deeply on this. <laughs> when I like family Javanka, leave that's you. a good name, yeah. I, the Lindsey Graham thing is funny to me. Like, first of all, who is waiting to hear anything from Lindsey Graham at this point? How much of his opinion, how much is it even worth? How much is his endorsement worth to anyone anymore? He's a notorious flip flopper. We know that he's desperate for relevancy above almost anything else. And I don't know why he's waiting for Georgia. Like we already won the Senate, what is he waiting for? And then secondly, 
who cares about Trump's announcement tonight? We already know what he's gonna say. We already know that his supporters in the GOP and in his own family don't want him to announce. We already know that he's mad about the midterms. We saw him scowling at his daughter's wedding over the weekend. And now they're saying that they're gonna try to use his unpopularity right now to recreate the underdog campaign that he was able to run in 2016, which if they can pull it off would be a bit of an impressive feat. But I would like to think that we the American people and we the media, we're not gonna repeat the same mistakes that we made back in 2015-16 as far as giving him so much airtime for free a lot of the time and incessantly just retweeting every ridiculous thing that he said. I would like to think that we've learned from those mistakes and I would like to think that his four years as president and the subsequent years afterwards where he spent denying election results and trying to overthrow democracy, I would like to think that those had some impact on the American people. I would like to think the same thing. I mean, we know he won over 70 million votes the last time that he ran. I believe he's still a force and anybody that sleeps on him, they are making a mistake. And your point about mainstream media, because they're the ones that gave so much airtime, billions of dollars. And you know why? Because every time they covered Trump, they made money. And this is really what that came down to, whether the man was lying or being deceitful to the American people did not matter to some of these folks. It was really about the almighty dollar and that is what was happening. That's why Trump got so much airtime. Lindsey Graham, Fox News, Trump's family, I mean, what could this be about? Rupert Murdoch is going in hard on Trump post election. Check out this headline, Murdoch's new outlet extended their criticism of Trump. For a second consecutive day, the recriminations about Republicans unexpectedly weak election day performance played a prominent role on the pages and over the airwaves of Rupert, Rupert Murdoch's media properties. Hey, Trump, wow. And meanwhile, Club for Growth fires a warning shot at Trump. It indicates they might back DeSantis, putting out this set of data. Take a look at it, but take it with a grain of salt, okay? Just a grain of salt, because we need to see some other polling happening. And as we know, that polls are really just a snapshot in time. I do think anybody that sleeps on Trump is really making a mistake. He got a lot of folks to vote for him. So it ain't over. He seems to have nine lives, maybe 20 or 25. So we shall see. Let the games begin between the Donald J. Trump and the sanctimonious himself. Oh yeah, we'll be watching. WTF neoliberals, the establishment dims lack of investment in Oregon. So we talked about the good news in Oregon, but there's also a bit of bad news. Something that is frustrating that happened during these midterms. And it does indeed have us asking, WTF neoliberals. We will now kneel. Miss Cinema, Miss Cinema, no. You have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, and you ain't black. And we are talking about the establishment Democrats abandoning a key house race in Oregon. Check out this headline. Democratic leaders rebuked for abandoning Oregon's McLeod Skinner. This seat could have made the majority, said one progressive advocate. But the National Democratic PACs walked away and left Jamie to twist in the wind. That is coming from a report in Common Dreams. Progressives are criticizing Democratic leaders for withholding support from Jamie McLeod Skinner, a left-leaning candidate for Oregon's 5th Congressional District, whose close loss to her millionaire Republican opponent, Lori Chavez D. Reamer, could cost the party a chance to retain control of the United States House of Representatives. Yeah. They bailed on her. This seems to be a reoccurring theme with regards to House races this these midterms. Republicans pick up three New York House seats with Long Island sweep and defeat of the DCCC chair. Yeah, the same DCCC chair that jumped in somebody else's race lost his own. The victories could prove decisive or de- decisive in how large a majority. The House Republicans stand to gain, proving that New York was, as expected, a critical battleground. It was critical. 
The inside story of Sean Patrick Maloney's face plant in New York. Instead of taking his own race seriously, the DCCC chair snubbed grassroots support and went to Europe to court donors. Now I got the pause right there, Yasmin. If that is not some type of arrogance, I do not know what. You know, a lot of these things, we can't get away from the fact that there is money and there is strategy in our government and in our politics, right? But performative democracy is simply not democracy, right? Democracy that's dependent on money and ads isn't a well functioning democracy. And just because these issues aren't supported by the establishment doesn't mean that they're not supported by the public. Unfortunately, the public isn't the one driving these narratives and maybe, just maybe we should be. But there's no way around it. A lot of politics, there's the issues on one hand and then there's the strategy and the money on the other side. So it's a lot of, you know, a lot of different things at play that need to be balanced somehow and we need to get back lean it a little bit more over to the side of the public into the issues and actually fixing problems that need to be fixed because there are many. Yes, there are. This headline right here, the inside story of Sean Patrick Maloney's face plan in New York. We put that one up and then more of the same nonsense actually happened in Oregon. So as we look at New York, we're looking at Oregon and the fact that arrogance really drove this outcome in New York. Total arrogance, how do you get on a plane and just go to Europe? As if you got this all in the bag, definitely thumbing your nose up or just saying, hey, I got this, no worries. So much so that I'm jumping on a plane. He was mistaken. My grandmother used to always say, don't write a check, your behind can't cash. She used the other word, I want you to use your imagination. But that is what Patrick Maloney did. He wrote a check, his behind could not cash all the way on his way to Europe. So let's go back to Oregon though. As the Intercept reported Friday, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, the DCCC, invested nearly $2 million to help McLeod Skinner win in Central Oregon. But the ads it funded came off the air in the final few weeks. And the leadership aligned super PAC action committee, House Majority PAC, made the eyebrow raising move to triage the race all together, just left her flapping in the wind. Republicans, on the other hand, treated the race in Oregon's fifth district as the toss up it was. Clearly, it was. They spent $8 million in total spending that ballooned all the way through election day. It's coming from the intercept, so they did not lead their candidate. Twisting in the wind, like the Democrats did. They said this is a toss-up, and we're going we are going to compete, and we are going to compete hard, and that is exactly what they did. Though it's egregious that this happened, yet the neoliberal House Majority Pack spun it with some BS, and I ain't talking about Bernard Sanders, baby. The House Majority Pack Communication Director C.J. Warnke. Declined to explain the reasoning behind the move at the time, but told the Intercept Friday that House Majority PAC had to make strategic decisions across the country to build the most optimal path to Democratic success this cycle. They messed up, just plain and simple. And it wasn't just Jamie that the DCCC and the House Majority PAC did dirty. They also did some other folks dirty, because while you spreading dirt, just go ahead and spread it around. The fiasco in the neighboring Sixth Congressional District also has House Majority PAC fingerprints all over it. There, Progressive State Representative Andrea Salinas entered the general election bruised from the most expensive primary contest in the nation after former cryptocurrency genius billionaire Sam Bankman Fried and House Majority PAC teamed up in an over $10 million failed attempt to anoint political newcomers and effective antitrust Carrick Flynn as the nominee. Now you all know we talked about Bankman Free just yesterday. Yes, just yesterday, but yeah, he was spreading this money all over the country, helping the neoliberals anoint and appoint their selected candidate. They won some and they lost some, yeah. They did. The unorthodox partnership appeared to be the result of a quid pro quo as Bankman Free contemporaneously donated $6 million to the committee. Seems to be quid pro quo. Oh no, baby, it really was a quid pro quo. Had no problem doing it. Follow the money, 
all the time. You should always follow the money. And this applies to neoliberals just as much as it applies to the GOP and more. We're talking about corporatist forces on both sides of that. In this, this is an and. It is the corporatists in the Republican Party, it's the corporatists in the Democratic Party. But you know what? A picture is worth a thousand words. Let's go ahead and put up this picture, this beautiful picture right here. Yeah. Worth a thousand words. Yasmin, anything else quickly you want to add to this? Yeah, I love that picture. You know, if the Dems are going to keep this position as being the party of the people, they need to walk the talk eventually at some point, right? They need to realign their values and they need to do it quickly or else they're going to lose support. In a lot of ways, they're barely hanging on to the supporters that they do have. Many Democratic supporters are clinging to them because the other side is so terrifying. That's not going to be enough going forward. They have the power now, they need to do something with it and they need to earn their support from their supporters going forward. There it is, you heard Yasmin. She said, walk the talk Democrats, you better take that advice. We'll be right back, y'all ponder that, we'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, our second half of your comments. My favorite, absolute favorite time of our hour together. Our TYT members, Joe C says, go Oregon with regards to healthcare being a constitutional right. You got that right, Joe, go Oregon, they blazing a trail. And on Twitch, Jason Young says, it's a crime that we here in America don't have Medicare for all. All types of exclamation points, Jason, right with you. And on YouTube, Super Chat, Super Saint says, Super Saint, I love that. <laughs> says, rights are not something you can have taken away, George Carlin, with regards to health care rights. Amen to that. Loving all of that and loving all of you. Thank you so much for your support. So, just as much as I love reading our viewer comments right now, I got one of my sister mates here with me, the one and only, the honorable Euline Cruz. Man, how you doing today? Carmen Euline Cruz. It's, it's so good to see you. It's so good to be with you on TYT and and this new, uh, you know, for all the, those of you that are just finding out who Senator Nina Turner is, she's a spontaneous woman that's unbossed, unbought, and unafraid. So well, just like those, you. Those are three things. Well, that that's why we get along. <laughs> Uh, so well, and, and that's why we catch a lot of poo-poo from people that do not like to be told the truth, and no. that happens everywhere. Uh, you know, it happens in all of the ranks and places where you and I have been known to uh, to be involved with. Yeah, well, they can't handle it. You know, there was a scene in a movie. I think it was a few good men. <laughs> you can't handle the, the truth. truth. They can't you handle, can't handle the, the truth. truth. No, they can't. We bring too much fire. Caliente? Caliente, with fuego. In Spanish, you say candela. Candela, which is almost as you look at the fire just rising up, that's that's la candela. So when you give somebody candela, it means you're, you're being, uh, bringing a little bit of mischief to it. Oh, I love it. That's hey, my favorite thing, making good trouble. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And that's what we do. That, that you and I don't do is we don't go despacito. You know, we don't no. take it easy. We just go full, full frontal to, to what needs to be addressed. Yeah, we do, Mayor. And we, you know, we have adored one another from afar for a very long time, and had the opportunity to really come together full blast on the Sanders campaign, traveling all over this country. You were one of the four co-chairs of the 2020 presidential campaign. It was you, it was our dear two brothers, Ben Cohen, the one and only, the other half of Ben and Jerry's ice cream founder, founder of one of the founders of Ben and Jerry's ice cream, and Congressman Ro Khanna and myself. And I must say, and I told Ben, Ben was on a couple of weeks ago, and I just said it to him. I said, we were the best co-chairs in the galaxy. Let's just go ahead and claim the whole thing. The Fantastic Four, and I think again, first of all, we didn't have our own agenda. And that was something, of course, that Bernie is always about is the people's agenda. You remember, he kept saying it's not 
me, it's us. us yes. So we reflected the agenda that the people wanted here in the United States. And of course, me bringing the voice of Los Boricuas, the Puerto Ricans. Uh, I know there's a lot of Puerto Ricans where you're from. Así es que yes, you've been here to support me. Uepa, yes, and yeah, and yeah. I it, and I think it's important to bring that perspective. And and you were talking about somebody was giving a shout out for Medicare for all. And, and what we're really talking about are are decisions that impact all of us. And when we're talking about a woman's right to choose over her own body, it's it's a financial decision. Also, having a child impacts your finances. So, so we really have to push a progressive agenda, not because we're radical, but because there is no time to waste when it comes to doing the right thing. That's right, Mayor. And the needs are so great. I mean, they really are. So, you serving as mayor of San Juan, Puerto Rico, you served in the House there as well. Right now, you are a Harriet L. Weissman and Paul M. Weissman Distinguished Fellow at Mount Holyoke. Those students just don't know how good they have it to have your presence there at that educational institution. So, Mayor, we've been a lot, we've been around the block many times together. You know, the midterms are kind of still going on. We don't exactly know who will control the House of Representatives. Ultimately, we have Senator Warnock fighting really hard to bring it on home in Georgia. Although some folks have already declared, oh, we don't need them, but we do. I went off all the way yesterday we- on that mayor to write him off like that. But for you, what are some of your thoughts about the midterm elections and any advice about moving forward? Well, I think there's there's a lot to be learned. One is if you notice none of the progressives that were running on what others called radical agenda had any trouble being selected. They just, I'm not gonna say breeze through them because they worked for that. And they understood that one thing that, that I stand up for, which is speaking up, speaking up for the true problems and, and standing up is important. Uh, two, I think it's also very important to understand that even though there was not a red tsunami, it was stopped by young people, the Gen Z, right? right? Um, we have uh, uh, Maxwell Frost, the first Gen Z person to go into Congress. But young people went to the polls like no other time. And I have to say, a lot of that has to do with the seats planted by Senator Bernie Sanders in 2016 and then again in 2020. Um, so so the, the agenda has to be a people-centered agenda, but also a youth-centered agenda. And a youth-centered agenda, it's about more. More rights, no less rights. More freedom, not less freedom. More for the people, not for the billionaires or the millionaires. More taxes for the rich, not for the working class. So so that's the second. And, and the third thing that I think it's important is I'm afraid Democrats will become complacent. Complacidos, I, I don't know if that translates in English. That they say, well, this was the best midterm election that a president has had in a very long time. We're just cruising through. No, we're, we're not cruising through. There are some fundamental issues that still require the attention of everyone in the United States. You know, veterans, for example, we just celebrated or, or talked about Veterans Day, November 11th. And there's a whole bunch of veterans living in the streets. Homelessness is important. I don't care if it's 50,000, 60,000 people, that's important. Access to healthcare, access to education, counseling, not forgiving, because you don't, you know, nobody made a mistake or did something wrong when they went to college. Counseling not only $20,000 of student debt, but the entire student debt. If we can give trillions of dollars to people on tax breaks, we can certainly pay for these issues that are the issues that are close to America. Also strengthening the middle class, which is always done by strengthening the union relations in the United States. So so those are things that, that are really moving. Women came out to vote. So watch out when you try to put a lid on women's rights, women are going to stop being quiet if we are ever. And those that are quiet are gonna stand up and speak up. If we are ever, we know we are two women who are not. We stand up for justice 
Mayor, what are you up to? So I want I gotta have you back because I was gonna bring up what happened when you went off on John Donald J. Trump, but we don't have time for that conversation. We will come back, but you yes. were standing up for the people of Puerto Rico, bringing it in. You did not care that it was President Donald J. Trump. You had some choice words for that brother. You let him have it. So we're gonna come back and talk about that. But what I really want to talk about before we break from one another in this particular moment is what are you up to right now? Well, a couple of things. I'm finishing here at Mount Holyoke College on December 31st. I've been teaching a workshop called Toolbox for Crisis Management because, you know, there's a few crises that I had to deal with when I was mayor of San Juan, Puerto Rico. You just mentioned one of them. Two is I have a podcast on Aussie network called Sheroics. Uh, it's dropping on November 30th, which is the birthday of my, my daughter's birthday. And uh, Sheroics is about women. You're going to love this one. It's about women that no one knows about, but we should all know about because they're changing the world one community at a time. So that's going to be on Aussie Network. And uh, I'm looking forward to, to talking to all kinds of women there. Um, to see how women change the world. And then I'm going back to Puerto Rico in January. Uh, and I'm going to start working there with an or non-governmental organization that whose, whose mission is to create community engagement, community housing, which is totally green, zero carbon footprint, and which also reduces poverty. So that's that's uh, some kind of good trouble, as as brothers uh, Congressman Lewis would say. Yeah, I love it, Mayor. She rogues. We got to check that out. Hopefully, people will check that out wherever they get their podcast. And Mayor, you said it starts November, November thirtieth. November thirtieth. She rogues. We're gonna check that out. Well, Mayor, you know how much I adore you. You are my sister girlfriend, and there are not many people in that category. We will definitely catch up offline. I love you so much, and I can't wait to have you back. Yeah, we got to finish at the count of three, saying hello, and you know the rest. So yes, one, two, three. Hello, Hello somebody. somebody. Hey, Karen, love you. Happy love holidays, you too, everybody. Bye-bye. Oh my God, the one and only Mayor Carmen Eulene Cruz. She is a force of nature. And you know, it's kind of rare in this life. You work with people, some people are in your life for a reason or season or for both of those things. And I just count myself so incredibly blessed to be able to call her sister, girlfriend. Love you, Mayor. So to the what we're gonna do wishbone today. And I'm taking that from the one and only one of the greatest poets of the 20th century, a poet, a novelist, Langston Hughes. And the poem that came to mind for me right now for the wishbone is dreams. Let's go ahead and put that up. Dreams, hold fast to dreams, for if dreams die like a broken winged bird, they cannot fly. Hold fast to dreams, for when dreams go, life is a barren field frozen with snow. Again, the one and only Langston Hughes. I hope that gave you the feels. It definitely gave it to me. I want you to always continue to dream. You know, that's what the wishbone is about. It's about hoping, it's about praying, and it is about dreaming. Langston Hughes was one of the best poets of the Harlem Renaissance. He also challenged this country. Another one of my favorite poems, I too sing America. Yeah, we do, and we all want better. I want you to keep dreaming big, you know that. You gotta put some sweat equity behind those dreams. But you know most importantly what I want you to do right now. I want you to keep the faith and also keep the fight. Until next time, sending you lots of love. Thanks for listening to Unbossed. If you like the show, then you'll enjoy our other podcasts on TYT Network like The Damage Report with John Idarola, Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ritchie, and The Young Turks. Make sure to listen and follow, and if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating.